We are in Acts chapter number 16 this morning. Glad to have everyone out braving the the rain and the nasty weather. But uh, Acts chapter number 16, while you're finding your place, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your word that we have before us, that we are able to read it and to, to learn of you and to grow. Lord, we just pray, ask you that you would uh, God and direct us in this study today. I just pray that you'd help me in my thoughts and my words, Lord, that they would be uh, what they need to be, Lord. I just pray that you'd be with each person here, that they would uh, gain from the service exactly what they need here today. I pray that you'd be with those who aren't here yet, that are still in their way, that you'd watch over and keep, keep them safe as they come out. And Lord, be with those who are unable to be here, Lord, the ones that's working and things. I just pray that you'd watch over them as well. I just pray, help us as a church that we could uh, live for you, that we could be a light in this place that you've put us at, Lord, that we can be a witness to those that we come in contact with. And Lord, I pray that you'd use us to draw people to you. Lord, we just thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're back in the book of Acts, and we've been watching the growth of the, the early church, and we've been seeing as it is uh, spreading from Jerusalem to uh, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, as Jesus said that it was supposed to. And kind of a, a theme, I guess, is Jesus said uh, while he was on this earth that he would build his church, and we're seeing the Holy Spirit building his church through, uh, through regular men like you and me. Uh, through people like Paul and Silas and Timothy. We're going to look at uh, one of the ladies that he used to uh, build the church and to get out the gospel today as well. And as we've been looking through all of this, we've been seeing that they have came against uh, uncertainty. They've come against persecution. They've had uh, disagreements. They've had troubles and different things. And God has still helped them navigate through those. And the church remained in spite of that. Uh, Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And because of the work that God has done in this world and through his people, uh, we are still here today as part of his church. And so we've been seeing those things happening. Last week, what we were uh, looking at was the differences amongst believers, that there is a diversity amongst believers, and that not all of us are going to be an Apostle Paul. Not all of us are going to fit one uh, uh fit one mold or another, but instead God has made the church to be diverse as the body of Christ. There are uh, there are arms and legs and fingers and toes and ears and mouths and noses. There's all kinds of things within the body of Christ to to just carry out that, um, that type there, that figure. But anyway, uh, everyone has differing abilities. They have different strengths, different weaknesses, and God puts it all together in the way that pleases him and the way that accomplishes his will. And so we can take heart in that, that there is a diversity, even amongst the people that God used in Scripture. Uh, we saw differences between Paul and Barnabas and uh, Silas and Timothy. Uh, we're going to see Luke maybe a little bit today in different ones. And then from there, we saw um, uh, Paul and Timothy and their relationship with one another and the need for... Um, the need for discipleship, the need for mentorship within the body of Christ. We are meant to uh, to live together, to take part in one another's lives, and to grow from one another. Uh, there's many different passages in Scripture, one another passages, where it says that our lives are to touch one another. Right. And we see this in Paul and Timothy, and 
Timothy was an asset to Paul. Paul was an asset to Timothy. And Timothy learned much and grew much through his relationship with Paul. But Paul was also benefited through his relationship with Timothy. Uh, we saw that Paul often was the one that was starting churches and was winning large groups of people to the Lord. But then he was leaving Timothy behind after him uh, to organize things and to disciple and to get things in order after Paul left. Uh, Paul wasn't one to stay in one place for very long, and so he needed a, a Timothy to come through behind him and uh, kind of work to put everything together after he had left. And so all of these things are uh, important that we learn, that we understand that there are uh, there is a relationship between believers and their different gifts and abilities, and we need one another to grow and to uh, to be strengthened in our faith. And so we saw all that last week. This week, what we're going to be doing is um, we're going to be seeing the Lord guide Paul in a new direction. And um, I, I preached on this passage, I believe, some years ago, and so it might sound familiar to you. I don't know. I might repeat some things, but that's all right. We've got somewhat of a new crowd since then. But anyway, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter number 16, and we're going to start in verse number 6. And I'll read just a, just down a few verses here, and uh, we'll get into our, our lesson, our discussion today. So verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were fit, forbidden of this, excuse me, were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were there in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, uh, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And so as we look at this passage and see uh, Paul and his uh, entourage here. We see their movement. There's a few things that we can uh, that we can get from this. One thing, just as a bit of a side note, starting off, there is a change in language as we go down through this. Uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Okay, we're familiar with that. Book of Acts was written by Luke, and as we come into this chapter, we find that Luke starts journeying with them. Uh, Luke uh, joins their, their party here, and he comes from this area in, um, uh, in the Middle East, and he jumps across into Europe with them, comes into Philippi, and he's going to stay in Philippi for some years, and then whenever um, Paul and his uh, party come back through, they come back by Philippi, and Luke is going to rejoin them and come back on the rest of the journey with them, from uh, Acts chapter number 20. And so in this, we're going to find that uh, God is constantly bringing people into Paul's life, uh, people that God, or excuse me, that 
that can help Paul along, that God can use in the ministry that he has Paul in. And there is a There's just a, a great diversity. I hate to keep using that phrase, but a great diversity. Luke was a Gentile. He was a professional man. He was a physician, a doctor. And after Paul's run-in with uh, being stoned and left for dead and different times that he'd been uh, harmed and tortured and imprisoned and things like that, it was probably a great blessing to him to have a doctor to come alongside of him and help him with some of his medical needs. But then also someone that he could leave behind there in Philippi after the churches began. I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit there, but someone that he can leave behind there and that can minister to the needs of this fledgling church that he has just planted as Paul moves onward. But as we've looked at all this, we see Paul is constantly moving. Okay, In this, uh, this section of Scripture that we're in, Paul has uh, had his disagreement with Barnabas. Uh, him and Barnabas has went separate ways. Uh, Silas has joined up with him. They went backward through the region of Galatia, revisiting all of the churches that they planted on their first journey, right? And so as he goes back and goes to all of these churches, he finds that they are thriving, that they are flourishing, that they are healthy, and that really they don't need him. And so he goes to one church. He's encouraged by their progress, by their condition. He picks up from there. He leaves. He goes to the next one. He's encouraged by their progress and where they're at, and he uh, leaves from there, he goes to the next one. And after he's been through all of these churches, uh, him and Silas are saying, okay, where do we go next? And so that is the question that we're looking at now, is where does he go next? And that's what we read in verses 6 through 11 here, that Paul didn't know. Up until this point in time, we don't find there being a lot of hesitation. We don't find there being much uh, downtime. We don't find that there was much delay in anything that Paul is doing. But it seems like he is moving forward with great certainty, step by step by step. Uh, even whenever Paul determines, Paul and Barnabas determines, to go back through and revisit all the churches of Galatia, they have the idea, they talk about it, they're up for the idea, and they get ready, and they take off, and they do it, right? Whenever they come to the churches, it doesn't seem like there's a, a whole lot of planning or even praying taking place, which I'm sure there was praying, but they are going to it. They're seeing how things are going, and they said, we're not needed here. We're going to move on. Even whenever he initially went through the region of Galatia and they were forming these churches, his normal manner of doing things is he would come into a large town or city, into a population center. He would find a synagogue. He would go there and begin to preach to a predominantly Jewish crowd that was familiar with the scriptures and some of them would believe, some of the Gentiles would believe, they would form into a church, he would give them basically the bare bones of discipleship, and then he would put someone in charge and he would move on, right? That's the way that he was used to doing things, and he would come to a town, evangelize it, go to the next town, evangelize it, go to the next town, evangelize it. But what's going on in the passage that we just read? Is anyone paying attention? In a way, your response is correct because there was nothing going on, right? There was nothing going on. And so as Paul was used to being busy, he was constantly ministering. He was constantly preaching. Every time that he could find a crowd, every city that he came to, he said, this is an opportunity, and he would find someone and he would preach to them. 
But in verses 6 through 11, we find that basically he has no direction. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. And we don't find that there's any churches being planted, that there's any evangelism going on. Paul is just kind of wandering aimlessly. He's like the children of uh, Israel in the wilderness, right? He doesn't know which way to go. And it's not just Paul. He's got his entire uh, party there with him. He's got Timothy following along. Now he's got Luke along with him. He's got, well, he will have Luke along with him. Uh, he's got Silas there. He's probably got a few others he's picked up along the way. And they're looking to Paul for leadership. And as Paul is going, uh, they had already went through Galatia, which was the region behind them. They were looking to go through Asia, which was the region to the south of them. Uh, and it says that the Holy Ghost forbid them to go that way. Okay? And so they looked to go to Bithynia, which would have been the region north of them, and the Holy Spirit suffered them not. And so every direction that Paul is trying to go in, the doors are closing. Uh, we don't have any great instruction. We don't have any uh, description of how the Holy Spirit went about closing these doors or forbidding him. I don't believe that, uh, you know, there was like an angel there with a flaming sword like outside of the Garden of Eden that would say, no, don't go this direction. But everywhere that he tried to go, I believe what it was, is he just couldn't get peace about it. There was just a foreboding. There was just, uh, as he was trying to go in this direction, there was the sense that this isn't God's will. This isn't what God wants you to do right now. And so as he goes this way, he just has this heaviness, this foreboding feeling that this isn't God's will at this moment. And so he is constantly seeking God. He's constantly desiring God. And God is leading and instructing him in his heart about which way to go. And so as he wants to go this direction, he sees all of these cities. He sees all of these people, the fields wide unto harvest. He desires to go and reach them, but he just can't get peace about going that direction. And finally, he comes over to Troas, which is on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And he is looking to go. Uh, he, he basically went as far as he could. He has come like Moses to the Red Sea uh, going westward. He had already been eastward. He can't go north or he can't go south. And as he is there, wringing his hands and wondering, what is it that God is trying to tell me? He has a dream at night that opens up his interest, that opens up his imagination a little bit of leaving the Middle East and going into, uh, going into Europe. And so this is God directing him all along. And so I want to look for just a few minutes here, think for just a few minutes on this way that God was directing him and what it means for us in our lives, okay? Because as we try to go through life, we hopefully desire God's will in our lives. We want God's blessing on the direction that we're traveling. We want to know if a direction that we are attempting to go in is something that God would not desire for us, that God is uh, trying to keep us away from. We would like to know that, right? We want God closing some doors and opening some others, right? I was, I was laughing to myself whenever Peter came there a little while ago because I met him at the doorway and I opened the door and he stood in the hallway. I surprised him a little bit. He's just standing there. And the reason I was laughing at that is a lot of times God is opening doors for us, but yet we're just still standing in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes we're in the hallway trying to pry doors open that God has closed. And he has a way of doing that. He has a way of opening and closing doors. He has a way of directing his people if they are willing to listen, if they are willing to seek after his will, if they are desiring to go in his way. 
God will not direct a person that is undirectable. God will not direct someone who doesn't want to know his will. But if we are sensitive to him, if we are desiring his will, if we are wanting what he wants for us, he is more than capable of making it plain to us. And I want to be careful to say, I don't believe that any of the things that was going on in Paul's life here were spooky or were some strange supernatural occurrence, but instead it was normal things such as God would still do in our lives today to help direct us. So as we look at Paul, Paul could have spent his entire lifetime in that region surrounding Galatia, right? If you think about this, this is a much larger region than what Ireland is, okay? But if I spent my entire life going from town to town, city to city in Ireland, I could spend spend my entire life here in Ireland and not get through the entire country, as small as it is, right? Some five million people here, and I'd never preach to them all, right? And so that's just kind of getting it down to a, a size and a location that we can understand. But where Paul was at was so much larger, was so much more vast, and so many more people and cities and villages and towns And if Paul would have stayed and his vision would have been no greater than that region, he could have spent his entire life there. But God had a bigger plan. He had a greater plan, and he just had to get it through Paul, through his head, uh, what he had for him to do. Okay, And so all of this is a process of getting Paul to the place where Paul is ready to take the next step. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So Paul's desire at that time, his desire was small. His desire was still just to go through all of that region of Galatia, that region of uh, Asia, that region of Bithynia up there, and just stay in that one localized region. But God wanted the gospel to go to the whole world. And so for Paul to be ready, for Paul to be listening, for Paul to be open to the next step, God had to get his attention And sometimes a good way that God gets our attention is through silence, right? In our lives, we can become so busy. We can be doing so many things and going wide open, and we are so busy, we don't have time to seek God's direction because we already have a direction determined in our own lives. We have a direction that we think that we want to go, a direction that we think uh, is right for us, And we are plowing onward in this direction, thinking that this is what we are supposed to do. And sometimes God has to put up a roadblock there to keep us from continuing that direction. So we'll have to stop and say, okay, God, what direction do you want me to go in? Because Paul at this time, he was just going place to place to place to place to place. Could have done it forever. But God had to throw out a roadblock. He had to stop him. He had to give him a time of uncertainty that would cause Paul to seek the Lord, that would cause him to earnestly desire and try to determine where God would have him to go from there. And so he did this through this time of uncertainty, this time of quietness. And in our minds, if we would have been Paul, and I'm sure Paul thought this way, it felt like a waste, right? It felt like it would be a waste. God, what am I doing here? I could be preaching. I could be evangelizing. I could be discipling. I could be doing so much work right now, God. Why am I just wandering here aimlessly? And if that wasn't enough, what other pressures did Paul have on himself? He had his ministry team with him as well, right? 
And they were used to the normal way of doing things. And they were saying, okay, Paul, why can't we preach here? Why can't we start a church here? What about here? This looks nice. What about over here? Paul, why aren't we doing anything? What have you done? Have you quit? Have you burned out? What's going on? Why are you not working? And he just has to say, I'm waiting to see what God wants me to do. I'm waiting. And so it would seem like a waste to him. And he was probably even getting upset with God. I, I, I would like to know some of his prayers and some of his conversations from that time. Can you imagine what it would be like? Because Paul is very forceful. He is very, uh, very energetic. He's very much a type A personality. And he is being forced to slow down and to stop. And so he would have been frustrated. He would have been confused. He would have been wondering about what all was going on. But then whenever they get to the sea, he looks at it and he's like, okay, well, it's a dead end. But as he is there, God sends him a dream. And you all know I don't put a lot of stock in dreams, okay? But he sends him a dream and there is a man from Macedonia and he is crying out to Paul saying, come and preach the gospel to us. And what that does to Paul is open up his imagination, if you will, to think, you know, I was confining my ministry to this area and God has told us to go to the entire world. Why not go to Macedonia? Why not leave this region? Why not go to Europe? And so now there is an idea, there is an imagination, there is a desire for him to move on beyond the area that he is in. Okay, I don't think it was spooky. I don't think it was supernatural in, in some way like we think of, you know, signs and wonders and lights from heaven. But it was something that Paul had never thought of before. And God uses this dream to cause him to expand his desires, to uh, expand his expectations, if you will. And so as he starts thinking on this, he's like, yeah, I, I think it would be great for us to go into Macedonia, which would have been in Greece. It was in Europe. And then the next step is going to be to go on over to uh, to Rome, to Corinth, to Italy, okay? And so in Paul's imagination, he never expected to leave the region, but now God has just, through this vision, opened up his imagination to an entire new continent, right? And so as they're thinking on this, it seems like it was about the time that he had this dream that he runs into Luke, we talked about him already, right? Where was Luke from? Anyone remember? What was his nationality? Tough questions, right? <laughs> yeah. He was Greek. Oh. Luke was Greek. And so they are in the Middle Eastern town of Troas. They have, Paul has a dream about Macedonia, about um, this Greek town. And then God brings a Greek doctor to him. And who knows, maybe it was the same man that he saw in the dream. And so now he joins up with Luke and Luke is telling about Greece. Luke is telling about his home country. He's telling about the people that are there and Paul says, it's a sign. It's a confirmation. God is showing me that this wasn't just a dream. It wasn't just bad spaghetti from the night before, but really that he is leading me to go into 
ministering with these people in Greece, right? And so they intend to leave immediately, and they go from there into this place called Philippi. And it says that Philippi was a major city. It was a colony. And whenever it says it was a colony, what it means was it was a Roman outpost. Okay, they were in uh, the Roman uh, the Roman Empire, and Rome would reproduce uh, Roman colonies all throughout their empire, which would be functioning like a uh, a small Rome in other countries. Okay, they would have a Roman culture, a Roman government. It would be a place that the the Roman people who were living in those regions, it would be a haven for them to retreat to. Okay. And so it was going to be a very busy place. It was going to be a very connected place. And he comes here, and they're going to be very Roman in their, uh, in their way of life, and their way of living, even though they were in Greece, which, by the way, you can kind of see Rome is the next step, and he is getting associated here with a Roman colony, right? And so God is just kind of jumping him right along, keeping expanding his vision and his ministry all throughout all of this, guiding him as he goes. But as we think about this, we're like, okay, God's giving him direction. God is leading him where he wants to go. So everything should be turning up sunshine and rainbows, right? That Paul is just going to enjoy this. Things are going to be great for Paul because he is in the center of God's will. God has made it plain that this is where he wants him at. But whenever we come to Philippi, there's a lot of things that have changed. I started reading there in verses 12 and 13 a little bit about it, that it was a colony. Uh, And it says that they were in a city abiding there certain days in verse number 12. And so they were spending some time there. And as we just read through this, if we're not careful, we we think that everything happened quickly, that everything happened immediately because it's very fast to read, right? But it says that they were abiding there certain days. I don't believe that this meant two or three days, this means that they were there for a time. And it says that on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. I may be wrong in this, but it seems to me like this was an ongoing thing, that they were, while they were in Philippi, while they were in this region, they were making this their habit, their normal way of doing things. That on the Sabbath days, they were coming out to this riverbank, they were talking to the women that were there. Now, generally, what was Paul's manner? What did he do whenever he came to a city? Where did he go to? The riverbank? He went to the synagogue. But now that he's came to this place, there is no synagogue. So that tells us that there's not a large Jewish population. In order for them to have a synagogue, they needed to have uh, 10 Jewish men to establish a synagogue. They didn't have 10 Jewish men in Philippi. They didn't establish a synagogue. And so the women that were there resorted to the riverbank to pray. And so this is what Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were doing, and they were going out and meeting with the women. Now put yourself in Paul's position for just a moment. Look at the way things have been going. It's been exciting. He's been coming in to large cities. He's been going to synagogues that were probably large synagogues. They had teachers and they had scribes that were there. Paul would show up. He would be revered at first because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was an instructor of the Jews and he was come from, uh, from Jerusalem, right? And so they said, hey, we have a learned teacher here with us. Let's give him a chance to speak. 
And Paul would speak and he would expound those scriptures and he would go through the Old Testament and he would be telling these people who were expert in the scriptures as well that were looking for the Messiah, that were worshiping God. He would be instructing them and pulling everything together, all the prophecies from the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus, and some of them would believe and a church would begin. But now whenever he comes to Philippi, there is no Jewish center there. There is no group of people. There is no... Uh, synagogue for him to speak to, he finds himself now, instead of Apostle Paul speaking to this, uh, this group of Jews, we find Apostle Paul camping out on the riverbank talking to, pardon me for saying it this way, talking to a bunch of women. Right? And I don't mean that disparaging toward women, but you see as Paul is going through this, it seems as if his ministry isn't growing at the rate that he was hoping it would. He's not seeing the results that he's used to. And so as he's coming, he's meeting for maybe maybe some weeks talking with these women before Lydia ends up getting saved, believing in all of her household believing. But even with this, this is one family is all we have recorded in Philippi believing. And so if you were Paul, what would your thoughts be? What would you be thinking at this point in time in Philippi? Pack the bag and move on. What? Pack the bag and move on. Pack the bag and move on, right? You'd be saying, this isn't going the way that I think it should be going. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I missed God's will, right? Maybe I didn't understand him right. Maybe I should have stayed over on the other side a little bit longer. Maybe maybe Greece isn't for me, right? And so he would be questioning every decision. He would have been questioning God and his wisdom and his directing. He would have been questioning something that previously he was confident in because the circumstances didn't meet his expectations. And so while he's there, this family comes to the Lord, which praise the Lord that, you know, he, he won one family to the Lord. But this isn't the normal response that he gets. Okay, And so they, they were resorting to the river riverbank there, verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. By the way, just as a side note, uh, she wasn't Greek. She was actually from Asia, one of the regions that he was not allowed to go to. And so his first convert in, uh, in Macedonia and in Greece was, of the, was the area that he wasn't allowed by the Holy Spirit to go to. He wanted to go and preach in this area. Holy Spirit said no, and he led him to this new area and gave him a convert from the area he couldn't go to. Okay, that was interesting to me. Anyway, uh, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God and heard of us, uh, whose heart the Lord opened. Now that's something important, that it is up to the Lord to open people's hearts. And unless God is in it, unless God is working in someone's life, unless God is bringing the conviction upon them, uh, we're not going to be able to make any progress with them. If we think that it's up to us to save anyone or to convict anyone or to convince anyone, uh, we're not able unless God is in it. And so the Lord opened her heart that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful uh, to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So anyway, uh, we have one family that believes she is a businesswoman. It seems as if she's probably a wealthy businesswoman. And 
she opens the door to them, and God has given them now a place to stay while they're at Philippi, right? So that's a blessing, right? But they're not seeing a whole lot going on. Now, I want to bring all this back and relate it to our lives as well, because God wants to direct our steps. He wants to order our steps. He wants to put us in the place that he would have us to go. But in order for us to do that, there are some things that we need to learn. A few of the things I've already kind of said is whenever we don't know what way to go, we need to make sure to be seeking God and seeking his direction. We need clarity from him. We don't need to just keep pushing forward and uh, ignorantly trying to pry doors open that God has uh, closed for a reason. So whenever we don't know which way to go, we need to seek God. Uh, Sometimes we need downtime to hear from God because constant busyness will cause us not to look for him, not to listen to him. Um, When we lack peace or direction, uh, it is foolish to push forward. I kind of said that just a moment ago. But God can uh, give us peace about different decisions. He can also cause us to, to lack peace. And in those times when we have no peace about it, whenever we are troubled, whenever our conscience just has no rest, then those aren't times that we need to be moving forward. We need to take pause because we are better off to wait than we are to rush in. Okay, uh, Satan is the one that hurries us. It's not God. And I've, I know I've said this oftentimes whenever I've advised people, God doesn't give us limited time offers. You ever, uh, you ever go to buy something and they try to rush you by saying that the price is only good for so long? You go to buy something, buy a car, buy something, and they say, if you buy it today... We'll give it to you for this price, right? I worked in sales for a while, and that was one of their tactics that they tried to get me to use is try to try to rush people, try to make them uh, do impulse buys, and I never would get into that. Uh, they would try to get you to um, think that there was uh, less inventory than what there was. We've only got a few more left, and if you don't buy it now, you'll miss your chance. The goofy thing about that is I knew it wasn't that we only had a few left. There's a hundred of them in the warehouse. But Satan tells us our lies and says that this is a limited time offer. If they can give it to you at that price today, they can give it to you at that price tomorrow, the next day, or next week, right? And so whenever we feel rushed, whenever we feel as if we have to do it right now, we have to push forward right now, that's not God hurrying us. It's either our flesh or it's the devil, but it's not God. And so whenever there is no peace, when there's no direction, we're best off to wait. Uh, another thing, though, is that whenever God makes his direction clear, it is foolish for us to stand still. As soon as God made it clear that uh, Paul was to go into Greece, into Macedonia, Paul went forward. He didn't sit there for a long time. Uh, you look back at Gideon. Remember Gideon? God had revealed plainly what he wanted Gideon to do, and Gideon kept sitting there saying, well, give me another evidence, give me another proof, help me to, to be sure of this whenever God had already made it sure, Right? I've been guilty of doing that, okay? I'm not quick to make uh, make decisions or to take steps forward. Some people will lunge into it. Some people will jump in and then think later. But I think for longer than I should before I ever jump, okay? People have different, different personalities. But whenever God makes his direction clear, it is foolish to stand still. Uh, another thing that we learn from this is for God to direct our steps, we have to be desiring his will, We need to be willing to forsake our will. If you are so set on and so stuck 
on what you want, that it doesn't matter what God wants, you're not going to find God's will. Um, and we need to be walking with him. We need to have a relationship with him. Uh, a lot of times we neglect God. We don't have a relationship with him. We're not in communication with him until difficulty comes. If you want God ordering your steps, you need to be walking with him daily, and he will be guiding you daily. And then the uh, last thing that I've written here is that whenever he reveals your, his will, we need to be willing to move. And that's kind of related to what we've already said. But if you're not going to move your feet, if you're not going to step out in faith, then God's wasting his time and his breath uh, instructing you on the next step, right? We need to be willing to move our feet. And another thing that I can say from this is after we move forward, after we take a step on what God has revealed for us, don't question whenever things get difficult the things that God has clearly revealed to you before. Okay? And what I mean by that is there are, every decision is going to be tested. Every decision is going to be tested. And whenever you step out in faith, whenever you follow God, there's going to be a time that you're going to be like Paul and you're going to say, wait a minute, what if I messed up? What if this wasn't God's will? Things aren't falling into place as quickly as I thought that they would. This isn't going in the direction I thought that it would go in. And you are tempted to question it. And I know there's been many times that I've been that way. Uh, even with being here in Ireland, with being here as a pastor and things, uh, I know that God led me here. But sometimes whenever things are difficult or sometimes whenever I struggle, it's tempting for me to question and say, well, maybe, maybe God didn't really call me. Maybe God wasn't really in it. And then I've got to go back and say, well, what were the steps that God used to lead me to this place? And I can say, yes, God led me here. Yes, God called me to this. Yes, God did this. I have confirmation of it. I know that I am where God wants me to be, even if things aren't exactly what I would want them to be. And so then I continue committed into what God has led me in until I see what he is going to bring out of it. And so now as we see Paul here, uh, kind of slowly making progress in the ministry. Uh, we see him slowly moving forward. Paul would have, as I said, he would have been questioning, he would have been wondering, he would have been confused, but we have the benefit of hindsight now, right? We can look back after everything was said and done, and we can see what God was doing through that time, Paul did not have that benefit then. And so what all did God bring about through this circumstance? What all happened as a result of this difficult time that Paul went through that Paul would have been glad of later on? Anyone familiar with this story and how it goes? I guess if you're talking about if Paul was alive today, or just back then. Mm -hmm. Because for, for me, it's like he went through his struggle. He felt like failure at the time. Mm -hmm. But if we can put him alive today with proud and saying, see, there's a church in, 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 in Ireland. There's a church in, in wherever mm -hmm. part of, of the route where he passed through. And then we'll be proud. Okay, I was feeling like a failure, like, now I can see the fruit of God the way it was mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, very good. That's the thing is that we can't see the harvest while we are tilling the ground, while we are planting the seeds, right? Yeah. 
And as Paul was probably, I, he was a human being, okay? And he was a very driven human being, and things weren't going well at that time. I can figure that most likely he was discouraged, right? He was upset at that time. But what he brought, what God brought about out of this was, as we study through the rest of Scripture, we find out a lot about this church at Philippi, right? And the, the book of Philippians, it was a letter written to the church at Philippi. And there's something unusual about that letter. Uh, Philippians is called the, one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote it while he was in prison in Rome. But something that's unique about the letter to the Philippians is that there is no correction in that letter. Y'all realize that? He writes to the Corinthians, and they've got something messed up that he needs to correct. He writes to the Galatians, they have something messed up that needs to be corrected. He writes to the Colossians, there's something messed up that needs to be corrected, right? He writes to Philippi, and there is no correction that's needed. All there is is encouragement. They're seeing him imprisoned, and they have a great love and great respect for Paul, and they are concerned for Paul's well-being. They're concerned for his ministry. They're concerned for the cause of Christ. And Paul writes to the Philippians saying, God is using this for his glory and for the sake of the gospel. Don't be discouraged by my circumstances. Okay? That's what's going on whenever he's writing the book of Philippians, whenever he's writing the letter to Philippi. And over and over, Paul references the believers that are at Philippi at what an encouragement that they are to him. And what great, uh, what great help they are in ministry. They are the ones that gave to him time and time uh, financially to help him in his ministry. They are the ones that he could go back and that he could be refreshed by time and again. And this is the very beginning, the very founding, that was the planting of the seed of that early church there at Philippi that ended up becoming such a blessing to him. Not only that, but the church at Philippi was also one of them that sent out believers from Philippi to all the surrounding region to evangelize the region. And many of the churches in that region came out and were like satellite churches of the church that was at Philippi. And he had a huge ministry there that resulted at Philippi, but it had a very humble beginning. And so we find from all of this that God knew what he was doing. Surprise, right? God was directing it. God had a plan. He knew what the future held. He knew what was going to go on just down the road a little bit. But at that time, Paul didn't know. So the lesson that comes to us is we don't know what this season is going to bring. If we are walking with God, if we are seeking his will, if we are uh, desiring what he would have in our lives, we may not understand our current season. We may not understand our current circumstances, or we may not even see that God is anywhere in it. We might be discouraged. We might be questioning. We might be fearful even. But we have to know that if God led us to where we're at, that God is working where we're at, and he is going to bring about fruit from our faithfulness. Okay? Mm -hmm. And we may not see it this year or next year, it may take 10 years, it may take 20 years, or it might be further in the future than that. Because we look now, uh, as Paul was writing closer to the end of his life, there was a lot of times that it sounded like he was 
fairly discouraged by a lot of the churches that he had planted. He was writing to them, and it seemed as if all of them were embracing heresy, that they were squabbling, that they were carnal, that there's all these different issues. And there was times that Paul questioned if all of his labor was in vain. And so he's in prison. He's listening to the devil. He's seeing the chains and all these different things happening. And he's saying, is it even going to last? Is this just going to be, you know, just just a vapor that passes away? But now looking back on it 2,000 years later, much of what has happened throughout this world has been a result of what Paul was doing back then. I don't want to slight the rest of the apostles, but as Paul went throughout Europe, as he went throughout Asia, as he wrote all of these letters that ended up becoming scripture that we find great insight and great encouragement from, we are growing, we are rooted, we are grounded because of what Paul did all the way back then. And he had no clue, even all the way up to the time of his death, what God was going to work through that. Can you imagine one of these days we get to glory, we see Apostle Paul, there's going to be rewards, there's going to be crowns, there's going to be all these different things. And all of this is going to build off of what Paul has done. Almost like a pyramid scheme, right? <laughs> and so all this is going to come back to Paul. But at that time, he didn't know. And so applying that to our lives is we don't know what God can do in us. He, we don't know what he can do through us. We don't know what the things that we are doing now, what kind of effects are going to have on the future, whether it's in our lifetime, our children's, or further on down the road if the Lord doesn't return before then. Okay? And so in that, we can take heart that God is in control, that God knows what he's doing, and we don't have to have it all make sense. We don't have to know everything that's going to happen but we can trust that God has it under control and that he's doing something through us, right? So I want to just go just a little bit further here as we, we wrap up for today. But I want to look at his second convert here in, in uh, Philippi. In verse number 16, this is where things will start going off the tracks even more. Verse 16, it says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Was there anything wrong with her message? They were the servants of God. They did show the way of salvation. But God doesn't need the devil for his mouthpiece, right? Verse 18, and this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour, and when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them to the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. If Paul wasn't discouraged by his small progress, 
I'm sure he was discouraged by this, right? God, I'm following you. I'm doing your will. You led me here, and now I'm beaten. I'm bloody. I'm in prison. If we follow the progression of this, they're going out to their prayer meetings on the riverbank. As they're going out, they're meeting with this handful of believers, and then this woman who is possessed with the devil starts following them around and saying, hey, everybody, come listen to Paul. He is a preacher of salvation. He is a man of God. Come and listen to him. And Paul continued to put up with it as she followed him around, being almost a herald for his ministry. He put up with it, but it says he was grieved by it because he knew that it was the devil that was doing this, right? Even though the devil was speaking truth, it was still the devil. But Paul also knew that the moment that he acted, because this woman was a slave, a servant, she was a possession of her master's, and she was profitable because she was able to soothsay, to, to basically be a psychic, to tell the future, okay, through the power of Satan. And Paul knew as soon as he did something with this girl that it was going to cause a stink. It was going to cause an uproar. And so Paul, <coughs> excuse me, he tried to hold off. He tried not to do anything. But finally... Whenever he couldn't stand it anymore, he finally rebukes the devil, casts, her out, casts the devil out of the girl. The girl is made whole. I believe most likely she became a Christian. It doesn't say uh, for certain here, but if you were possessed of a demon for years and you met Paul and Paul healed you, set you free of this uh, issue that you had, you would listen to him. You would believe what he had to say, right? Mm -hmm. So I believe most likely uh, she became a Christian. So uh, Paul now has a wealthy businesswoman and a former uh, demon-possessed girl as the beginning of his church in Philippi. It's kind of a, a strange combination, isn't it? He's hitting all layers of society. But anyway, whenever he does this, uh, we, can, we can learn a few things from the situation because uh, one thing about it, as I said already, the, the devil, the demon, what he was doing, what he was saying was true, right? The devil has no problem with using truth to bring about evil, right? What would have been the issue with this woman being the spokesman? What would have been the issue with having this woman following Paul around and proclaim the pr truth about Paul? What would have been the, the problem with that? She wasn't saved. Yeah, that was one of them. Yeah, that's a very good point as well. Guilt by association. So she's associated with demonic possession, with the devil. And even whenever Jesus was on the earth, oftentimes his enemies accused him of being in league with Satan, right? That he cast out devils by the power of Beelzebub. And now Paul's got a devil for his spokesman. That would be a problem, wouldn't it? But something that we can learn from that is just because the things that someone is saying is true doesn't mean that they're of God. Because Satan can use people claiming to be of God, people actually speaking the truth, to cause great harm for the cause of Christ. How many times has there been so-called preachers who would preach the truth, but their life betrayed the message that they proclaimed, and it caused more harm to cause more harm to the cause of Christ than it did uh, 
than it did actually helping the cause of Christ. That's often the case. And so there are many people today who reject God and reject the message of salvation because of people who are associated with God, right? I know I've ran into plenty of people here that whenever I try to witness to them and I try to tell them about Christ, that they bring up all the atrocities of the Catholic Church and priests and things like that. Ones that held up the Bible had you know, at least a semblance of truth to them, claim to represent God, but instead they have completely tore down any kind of testimony of God in the minds of many people, right? And so we need to be careful about the people who we listen to and the people that we follow because they may use the Bible, they may sound right, but it's even more important that we go back and we look at more than just the things that they are saying, but look at how they're living and look at their lives and see if they're practicing what they're preaching, right? And so this woman, being of the devil, is speaking the truth but living for the devil. This is one of the great risks that there is, and this is maybe a bit of a side note, but this is one of the great risks that we have today with um, with media and with the, the presence of so many uh, different avenues that we can hear from people online or on television. There's televangelists, there's YouTube theologians and different things, and the things that they proclaim online may seem true, they may seem right, but we don't have access to them as a person to know what kind of a life that they're living. Right? We talked about last week, Paul and Timothy and the way that their lives were meshed together and the way they were able to pour into one another's lives, Right? That doesn't happen whenever uh, whenever you have no idea about the life of the person that you're listening to. We've got to be careful about some of these people who we can't observe anything more than the few things that we're hearing because what happens whenever a few years down the road they can turn into complete heresy because their life wasn't ever yoked up to God. They had some truth just enough to get someone hooked in and then they drug them down the road to heresy. Uh, there's a couple couple YouTube pastors, and I'm not going to speak any names right now, but there's one that comes to mind. But in particular, the one back five years ago seemed to be pretty solid, and he got a lot of people following him. He had a lot of people who were really behind him and were excited about him. Then his personal life came out into the air, and there was a lot of messed up things that happened in his personal life, and now he's embracing all kinds of heresy but some people got on board with him back at the very beginning when the things that he spoke was true. <clears throat> right? You see the, the danger in this whenever the devil is speaking some truth to get people to come to him so that he can lead them into falsehood? And so Paul was grieved by this. He cast, cast the demon out. And then these people were upset that Paul actually helped someone that he actually delivered this woman from the demons that possessed her, he was ups- or these people were upset by it, and they began to attack. And they told him that these people, Paul and his, his crew, are teaching things that are not, what, how does it say? Verse 21, teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. They start bringing in prejudice. They start doing class warfare. They start talking about they're Jews, we're Romans, 
and the things that they're teaching aren't compatible with us. But what was Paul teaching? He was preaching the gospel and he was helping this, this lady to be delivered from the wickedness that was in her life, right? The way that relates to our lives today is we can be serving the Lord, we can be living for Him, we can be doing the things that He would have us to do, and those who are without will be offended by it. They will see it as an issue, and they can even persecute and attack when all we're seeking to do is good, but it's, it's infringing on their abilities to do the things that they would do, right? So anyway... Um, just wrapping this up for right now. Paul started out not knowing which direction to go. God used the, the time of uncertainty and of silence to cause Paul to seek and to listen and to open up his mind to allow God to lead him on the next step. Whenever he got to the next place, it didn't mean that just because God led him there that everything was going to be sunshine and rainbows. There were difficulties that were there. There were times that he questioned God's leading and God's will. But in the end, God knew what he was doing. He used Paul mightily. He opened up a, a great ministry for Paul there in, uh, in Macedonia. And there is lasting results from that. But if we judge uh, God's leading, if we got, excuse me, if we judge God's will, based on our current circumstances, we are often going to be troubled by it. We're often going to struggle with it. But it takes us following God, trusting Him, and allowing Him to bring His plan to the end till we can see the fruit of what He has us doing now. And then it will make sense. So I guess the, the main thought on all of this is trust God from the beginning Allow him to lead your direction. Don't question whenever things get difficult. Continue to follow him. And in the end, it'll make sense and you won't regret it. Okay? So anything else to add before we take a break? Any questions, comments? Okay, well, Lord willing, we'll pick up next week and we're going to talk about uh, Paul's imprisonment, his time here with... Silas in the Philippian jail. And uh, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and we'll take a short break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And I just pray that you would uh, use this to help us, to encourage us. I know sometimes we, we get confused, we get discouraged, we uh, are unsure about the way that you're leading. Help us, Lord, just to trust you throughout the journey and allow you to bring us to where you have us. Lord, we just ask you to be with our our next service, Lord, I just pray your blessings on it be with those who are still on their way out. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.